It was unseasonably hot that spring, and Washington languished under the blazing sun. The grass was brown and lusterless, the traffic thick, the citizens surly and uncivil. Even the marble monuments and the white government buildings seemed squalid. It was as though a torpor hung over the place, or a curse. Nobody in official Washington went to parties anymore. It was a time of bitterness and recrimination. And it was a time of siege. The city was, in fact, under attack. The process the president called Vietnamization wasn't happening fast enough for the armies of peace demonstrators who regularly assailed the city's parks and byways, shutting it down or letting it live, pretty much unchecked and pretty much as they saw fit. This month already, the Vietnam Veterans for Peace had commandeered the steps of the Capitol, showering them with a bitter rain of medals. More action was planned for the beginning of May, when the May Tribe of the People's Coalition for Peace and Justice had sworn to close down the city once again, this time for a whole week. In all the town, there was only one section of truly green grass. Some would look upon it and see in the green a last living symbol of American honor, a last best hope. Others would say the green was artificial, like so much of America. It was sustained by the immense labor of exploited workers who had no choice in the matter. This is what we are changing, they would say. The green grass was the parade ground, or in the patois of a service which holds fast to the conceit that all land structures are merely extensions of and metaphorical representations of the ships of the fleet, the parade deck of the marine barracks at 8th and I southeast. The young enlisted men labored over it as intensely as any cathedral gardeners, for, to the Jesuitical minds of the United States Marine Corps, at any rate, it was holy ground. The barracks, built in 1801, was the oldest continuously occupied military installation in the United States. Even the British dared not burn it when they put the rest of the city to the torch in 1814. To look across the deck to the officers' houses on one side, the structures that housed three companies, Alpha, Bravo, and Hotel for headquarters, on the other, and the Commandant's house at the far end of the quadrangle was to see, preserved, a pristine version of what service in the Corps and service to the country theoretically meant. The ancient bricks were red, and the architecture had sprung from an age in which design was pride in order. Conceived as a fort in a ruder and more violent age, it had taken on, with the maturity of its foliage and the replacement of its muddy lanes with cobblestone, the aspect of an old Ivy League campus. An unironic flag flew above it at the end of a high mast, red, white, blue, rippling in the wind, unashamed. It had a passionate 19th-century feel to it. It was somehow an encomium of manifest destiny, built on a little chunk of land that was almost an independent duchy of the United States Marine Corps, stuck a mile and a half from and on the same hill as the capital, 
where the unruly processes of democracy were currently being strained to the utmost. Now, on a particularly hot, bright April day, under that beating sun, young men drilled or loafed as the authorities permitted. 